This is Nuri Shahin, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. So 231, it's Revier Derby time, and it's uh, me, Stefan Butzko, together with Lars Perman at the helm. Later, we will get a guest for our Schalke segment, but first, we obviously have to talk about a win with um, a higher margin than just one goal. Hello, Lars, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Stefan, I'm fine. Thanks for having me again, I guess. How are you? I'm very fine as well. Uh, believe it or not, the sun has been shining in recent days in Dortmund. It's it's been warm enough to just walk around in a t-shirt. So I'm in a really good mood. Do you uh, always walk around without pants, Stefan? Not always, Lars. Uh, more often than not, uh, if if you must know, I wear pants, even underwear. Um, <laughs> that sort of denied me my little sec segue now to Francisco Ortiz uh, who is uh, the sponsor of this episode because he portrays one of our beautiful Marco Royce cups on patreon.com slash they is where you can support us financially if you want so um yeah we can all afford a currywurst every now and then um but to the business Last, as always, a little news segment beforehand. I, I guess uh, I'll, I'll just close over it. Manuel Akanji, he was missing in uh, Stuttgart or against Stuttgart due to muscular problems. Now has a slight cold, but should be fine for the derby. And Roman Weidenfeller revealed that he will stay at Borussia Dortmund past his career in whatever role. Maybe he will pull a Jens Lehmann at some point and... Uh, come in as a goalkeeper because no one else is fit. Who the hell knows? Anyway, um, that's it from, from a new standpoint. I don't think I missed anything else, so we can focus on the football. Lars, um, I have seen 37 really terrible minutes in Stuttgart. So before we talk about the good stuff, I guess, uh, yeah, why were Dortmund so atrocious against Stuttgart? Why was it so bad and uninspired and crap uh the same i could give you the same basic answer uh that we've been discussing for the better part of the entire season uh you know their build-up is slow and deliberate uh they have massive issues in central midfield um stuttgart did really well to to give them some credit there um uh, their i don't know tactical discipline i guess uh is really quite something uh they had an interesting role for Christian Gentner again which you kind of predicted uh, in the preview episode with Matthias uh you know Stuttgart made life pretty tough on Dortmund and it, it did kind of feel like there were some ramifications from that uh defeat at Bayern uh players didn't look incredibly comfortable i think the the stadium was quite welcoming for the most part but you know after 25 minutes and the fifth 
uh, misplaced pass of Roman Berkey because nobody was working to get open. I think there were some some whistles and boos and whatnot. So uh, the the atmosphere was starting to to deteriorate until you know that Christian Pulisic. Uh, not even he will claim it was meant to be a shot kind of goal. Uh, so, you know, 38 or 37 or whatever, got off for minutes that, you know, kind of showed all the problems in a nutshell against an opponent. As I said, that was, you know, tactical disciplined and, and did well, but, you know, doesn't have the individual talent that should bother you too much and to be fair to Dortmund's first half performance it wasn't like Stuttgart bombarded them with shots or whatever I don't really recall you know a, a single great scoring opportunity for for them in the entire game and, and certainly not in the first half so uh, it, it, it was more a self-contained problem with Dortmund than you know Stuttgart battering them offensively yeah it, it, it certainly was as I <laughs> expected Stuttgart to be because I, I just think Typhon Korku did not make them much better yes they had more results under him because they've been defensively more solid than under Hannes Wolf but from a footballing perspective and what to do on the ball Stuttgart did not really look like the side that finds a lot of solution yes they have a lot of physical edge obviously with Mario Gomez and uh uh, Ginshek and, and whatnot up front. So they really managed to pin Dortmund for quite a long time in, in, in Dortmund's half and, uh, yeah, have a barrage of, of crosses, if you will. But as you said, there was not really one great scoring opportunity for Schuckert. I think Mario Gomez had the best chance after like five or seven minutes from a set piece that was a header misplaced. But, um, as you said, not a single shot on target for Stuttgart. So um, that's not really good. And um, I also had the feeling that Stuttgart were not going to be able to be as physically imposing as they were in the opening 30 minutes because it was a really hot day in the stadium and uh, down on the pitch, I, I think it's always like five or six degrees higher than uh, the rest of the stadium. So that means they must have had close to 30 degrees down there. So, you know, obviously a lot of sportsmen are sometimes a little bit fickle when it comes to big uh, changes in, in temperature. And that was certainly the case there. So, uh, and I think in the end that played a part. Ron Robert Sila said it after the game that, uh, you know, when you tunnel down, and it's so hot, then you just don't feel like, uh, you know, you have a comeback in them. So maybe the temperature in the end helped Dortmund seal up the win, among other things. Um, so yes, in, in general, I did not have the feeling that, uh, Stuttgart were going to maintain the level of intensity in which they started the game. And, uh, as they did not create really any chances, I always had a hunch that Dortmund would somehow get into the game and, potentially win it but um they did so in a fashion that nobody really expected last correct me if i'm wrong but i think that was the very first scoring chance if you even want to describe it that yeah uh, it wasn't but it was i mean uh yeah <laughs> it, it was their first shot on target but you know uh i think it it broke the expected goals barrier in a negative way if you like yeah, if you want. And uh, whether that strike was all intentional or not, you know what? You're just going to hear from the man himself, Christian Pulisic, from the mixed zone. Here you go. 
<laughs> but it opened the game for yes, Borussia. Uh, you know, a little bit of luck there, and uh, definitely uh, gave us a lot more confidence, and we were playing a lot more after that, so it's good for us. So how much fun did you have in the first half, and how much fun did you have in the second half? Obviously, things were much more free-flowing for us. Uh, we had much more control of the game in the second half, and that's always good for any player. But uh, you have to get over that hump, and uh, yeah, it was difficult for us at the beginning. They didn't make it easy for us, uh, but in the end, you know, I think we kind of began to take over the game. Well, if the game was completely changed by the goal, at least in my impression, does that show that yeah. it's a lot of mental stuff you have to deal with at the moment? Yeah, I mean, maybe there were some, some pressures and some things going into the game, but uh, yeah, of course, the goal, goals change games. I mean, we uh, got a lot more confidence, like I said, from that, and uh, yeah, it was really important for us. <laughs> so just in front of the derby, um, how important was the win today? For the we told about confidence already. Uh, it's really important for us. We definitely needed a result after last weekend, and uh, we came out with a dominant performance. And now we're uh, feeling really good going into, into the derby next week. So we're really excited. Uh, Coach Schöger actually wanted to show from the beginning, also for the uh, audience, that the team is ready for playing Champions League next season. Yeah. Why was it so difficult over the first 30 minutes? Yeah, I mean, they didn't make it easy for us. No team is just going to come and sit down and let us play. I mean, <laughs> it was tough at the beginning. They played, you know, man against man a lot all around the field, and it was tough to, to get free in the beginning. But uh, once we played and, you know, kind of wore them out, I think that that's why it became more free-flowing and easier for us. Did the change of the weather play a part? I mean, this <laughs> no. is sudden summer here. Really. For me, no, I love playing the warm yeah, weather. But not everyone. I mean, <laughs> well, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't think it made a difference today. So it's your season now. <laughs> Yes, you could say that. Mm. Can you maybe describe that, that goal? When, when did you realize the ball was going in? <laughs> I mean, I just took a touch and I kind of tried to hit it towards the back post. As I saw it hit the post and go in, I just couldn't really believe it. So I just turned around and looked around. And, uh, <laughs> so you had time to watch it, then? Eh? I, I couldn't really celebrate. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's now that uh, we're out of the other competitions, I think it gives us a chance to train hard and really prepare for the games on the weekend, and we were able to do that this week. Is the uh, tactical preparation different when you have more time? Uh, I mean, just like you said, you just have more time. It's not really, you're not changing so much. You just get more time to speak about it and more time. So. What does it mean for the team to win with such a clear margin, 3-0, is something... I mean, it's important for us. I mean, I don't remember a game where we've, you know, dominated like this in, in a few games. So I think it was really important for us and really good for our, for our self-confidence. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, as we just heard, Christian Pulisic uh, talked not only about uh, being somewhat fortuitous there, but um, he also talked a lot about confidence. Lars, um, it was sort of striking how well Dortmund can play once they manage to progress the ball to the middle third of the field, which very often they tend to, you know, struggle with. And uh, once they have some sort of compactness and the, the ball further up ahead, I, I think they tend to actually come up with a lot of great combinations. And uh, that second half, I think, was certainly one of the better ones to watch all season, um, certainly since the turn of the year. Um, do you, like me, think that there is a lot of great potential and great football in this team, but somehow it's just uh, not always... I don't know, for the lack of a better word, capable or tangible or whatnot for, for the players to to just come up with. But uh, 
do you think it, it's just a mental thing or do you think there are different reasons why Dortmund just can't replicate replicate what they have shown in the second half against Stuttgart way more often. Well, obviously, we know that they are capable of this kind of football because uh, they've shown it uh, in glimpses this season. And a lot of these players uh, have been around for some time, either at Dortmund or at least at other clubs in the Bundesliga or whatever. So we know there's a lot of individual quality still in this team. Um, and, and the problems, obviously, partly mental, partly tactical, Uh, I think the, the group dynamic hasn't been the greatest this season. Uh, there, there was a lot of talks about different camps in the team and, and whatnot, especially around the time Stöger took over. Uh, so there are, there, there is a multitude of reasons why Dortmund aren't capable of performing to their, to the best of their abilities week in, week out. But I, I kind of want to pump the brakes a little bit on, Uh, that kind of talk because I think against Stuttgart it was almost a perfect storm in these uh, crucial moments around halftime I mean uh, we heard from Pulisic himself how lucky he was to score the goal uh, and then for the first time under Stöger they scored that crucial second goal and and did so very early in the second half and uh, as you said uh, uh, relaying what Zieler said after the game Uh, for a side like Stuttgart to come to Dortmund, be down by two goals after 47 minutes, uh, that's basically game over for a side like that, that, you know, isn't, just isn't talented enough probably to, to stage a, a massive comeback, uh, as the underdog at Dortmund. So, uh, it's not like, uh, Dortmund unlocked, uh, a great opponent with, uh, breathless football for the entire second half it was basically one great move admittedly a great move uh, with you know the the likes of the Shahin and and Batshuayi doing really really well but uh, that was a singular instance and then the game was over and then it's fairly easy for very individually talented players to to let that shine uh, they still in my opinion didn't have you know, uh, a barrage of great opportunities. The third goal was kind of scrappy uh, and, and they still made some, you know, bad decisions. Uh, but Shuai, once that one flick worked, he was flicking everything, uh, for example. Um, you know, Philip missed a pretty good chance, I believe. So uh, it was a much improved performance, obviously, but uh, it was also circumstantial, in my opinion. And, you know, it, it, I, I wouldn't, say that this was kind of the standard they, they've set for themselves now or anything it was more a, you know, like I said, a perfect storm in some ways uh, for, for this game. And as we'll talk about later in the, the Schalke preview, I'm sure uh, I, I wouldn't be, uh, I w I, I'm not sure that this is something they can take so much away from for, you know, the Riviera Derby. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid I have to agree with you there. Um, but nevertheless, I think it, it was very positive for the team to, um, feel how, you know, it, it can be when you have that sort of flow and you can focus on, on your attacking pros. And I gotta say, you know, they really wasted a lot of great chances in the end. And, uh, it could have been even higher, the results. Um, though, Lars, I also have to disagree with you. I did not really think the uh, third goal was all that scrappy, even though Philip had to score on a rebound, and so I think needed a lucky deflection of Bartstuber. But 
I thought the initial move to uh, open the, the chance was pretty amazing. Marco Royce, I think, had a nutmeg in there somehow. And then Dahoud with a really good cross and Pulisic with a layoff. So I certainly liked the combination play. And uh, as for the second goal, the uh, uh, it, it sort of reminded me a little bit to a goal Dortmund scored, I think, against Atalanta. It was in that 3-2 home win where a player just plays a really odd free kick right into the uh, legs of, can't even remember who it was, I think Maximilian Philipp or so. Uh, in this case, Andreas Beck, just some weird free kick. And uh, yeah, Dortmund managed to pounce on that. But um, again, once Dortmund are in the second third of the game with compactness meaning that their backline also shifts up and and actually you know the the positioning isn't that there are oceans between all the players um then Dortmund finally can play good football the 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 overbearing problem for Dortmund is as I said a million times on here before is that they usually do not manage to do that the teams stop them by either man marking or pressing or whatever um, you know, just to stifle Dortmund in, in their builder play. And I, I think it, it was really epitomized by Roman Burki playing the ball, you know, <laughs> out of bounds like eight times or so, because there were no options in, in how to progress it. And, uh, yeah, that is really, really a big concern. And, and Stöger has to find a way to fix that. And right now, I don't see it really being fixed so Dortmund will have to hope that lucky coincidence and some really good turnovers that they sometimes force uh, higher up the field can make things happen for them but I do not expect Dortmund to create too much from just having the ball by themselves and uh, that's I guess the biggest difference to to last season where it happened uh, happened way more often that uh, they managed to create something from you know themselves but yeah, not happening right now. But um, I'm really inclined to focus a little bit more on the positives here because we had so many negative things to talk about throughout the entire year. And now we finally had a 3-0 win. And I think also the very first time a deserved 3-0 win, a very dominant performance, if you consider the uh, full 90 minutes. Um, yeah, Stuttgart were the better team in the beginning, but... Um, Overall, I, I think Dortmund then close out the game without any second guessing, which is also an, a new thing this year. So um, I'm very happy. Um, Lars, how did you see Sergio Gomez after his five-minute cameo? Because I have to say, I was really impressed and really happy for the 17-year-old. Yeah, I'm going to withhold judgment on a... Was it even five minutes uh, in a 3-0 game yes. against an opponent that didn't care about the game? But that one pass uh, through six or seven guys, uh, I I'll give it the highest compliment and say it was uh, similar to the Moritz Leitner pass uh, at Nuremberg, which I think everybody remembers quite vividly. Um because I'm I'm afraid I'm afraid Leitner's pass was so much better. Yeah, but you know. Uh, it wasn't as difficult and wasn't, uh, you know, setting up a goal. But uh, for a 17-year-old making his first uh, his first outing for a professional football team, playing against uh, opponents that didn't really care about the game anymore, but also playing with mostly guys that just wanted to to hear the final whistle and and you know get some electrolytes back in after a hot day. Uh, you know, uh, it was a nice pass uh, and. Uh, 
I just wanted to mention Moritz Leitner, basically. So uh, it's always my my goal right, my goal I, to to name I, check I one Moritz Leitner uh, in this uh, show. I'm I'm glad that you still have goals, Lars. That's something that motivates you and gets you out of bed every morning. <laughs> um, so. Lars, what were the positives overall from, from that game? Maximilian Philipp had a decent match, I thought. Mahmoud Dahoud certainly. Um, Roman Birki maybe not so much. Um, even Socrates had a good game. See? Um, so tell me, Lars, what are your positive takeaways from this game? Uh, three points. Uh, scoring that second goal for the first time under Stöger before the game uh, was in its dying moments. Uh, and some of the individual performances, obviously, but, you know, as I said, uh, I'm, I'm just not the most positive person, I guess, but, uh, it's hard for me to forget those first 37, 38 minutes to just talk about the positives when, as I said, was kind of uh, a circumstantial, uh, improvement, I would say, in the second half, but, you know, uh, we know that these players are capable of more than they've shown and, and, If I'm wrong, and and this is the the kind of catalyst they need to get closer to their natural level for these last few weeks of the seasons, then by all means, I'm I'm happy with that as well. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we we can't really predict it because Dortmund did have a couple of good games already this season, but that usually didn't really help for them. And uh, good performances more or less were often followed by uh, bad performances. However. Also, there weren't that many great performances to begin with, but um, that's be besides the point a little bit. Um, what I want to say is uh, kudos to Nori Shine uh, for having a decent match. And um, what I really liked um, is that he managed to organize his team a little bit um, because that's the 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 reason he earned a higher rating in my ESPN player ratings than he usually would have because I just realized um, that that's an element that Dortmund certainly need someone who positions players again and again and and tells them where to be because Castro for whatever reason has been a defensive midfielder or Julian Weigel they tend to not do that and I think that bit of guidance and leadership actually helps the team to have a better structure and I think was also key in why Dortmund had so many great chances later on in, in uh, the game. Shine obviously grabbed an assist and uh, nearly grabbed another one with the uh, first half setup for Marco Reus. It was a nice really yeah, nice volley there. Sadly didn't find the back of the net and um, yeah, so kudos to Nori Shine for that and uh, as he walked out of the mixed zone he uh, <laughs> turned to Jörg Weiler of, of Bild and, and asked him and, and I'm Am I off your list now? Because uh, Bild obviously, like many other outlets, are running lists of players that need to go in uh, the summer's overhaul. Um, last, I'm sure Shine is also on your list. Is he off off your list now? <laughs> Absolutely, 100. No, uh, <laughs> I'm. I I can't begin to say how uh, much I dislike the overreaction to every single Nuri Shine performance. It is above average. Uh, basically the last two or three years. Uh, so I'm, I'm not gonna make this point now because it, it, it would lead to a 20 minute discussion and I have to get up in about five hours, it feels like. So, and we still have the, the Schalke preview, obviously. Uh, but I don't like how Shahin is 
treated to a different standard by many fans and some journalists uh, that are close to the club. I can I, I have my theories about what that's about, and that is that Nuri Shahin likes to talk to them more than other people do. Uh, but, you know, I, as I said, I don't want to make this a huge argument, but he still is very much on my list, and my opinion on Nuri Shahin doesn't change from 45 or so good minutes against Stuttgart. Now, and I would add to that argument, um, Nuri Shine could have taken himself off the list throughout the entire season, but uh, you just don't really cut it on a, with a half decent performance on match day 29. Would say too little, too late. Yes, he had a couple of good games in the first half of the season, but nothing really so convincing that you would uh, build a team around him now. So, um, yeah, that's my two cents. Um, but you know, Lars, I want to finish this on a high note. And that certainly um, allows us also to segue into part two of this episode, where we'll talk um, to Richard Kaman from the Schalke pod in a minute. And that is, it was just a really, really nice weekend because the sun was out, Schalke lost and Dortmund won. And uh, now we get to have a really tense review derby because of Schalke losing Dortmund can pip them with the win. So that just added the extra spice. And obviously Dortmund now moved five points clear of fifth place. So that's another little gimmick, uh, for, for them. It's, it's certainly not all that safe yet, but, um, it's a good start for them. So yeah, that was a really good weekend. And with that, I think we can turn our attention to part two. Here we go. back it's part two and now it's time to talk about the Revier derby it's uh i guess one of the bigger Revier derbies in recent time just because uh, it's second against third and whoever wins will not only have the bragging rights but uh, i think have yeah a very good chance to secure the champions league qualification and uh, for that we have a special guest uh, from washington the dc metro area richard Kaman from the schalke pod Hey, Richard, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty well myself and uh, Lars also doing fine as always. I presume still after the first part. <laughs> um, <laughs> Richard, um, first things first, uh, you've, you're doing the Schalke podcast. Uh, how can people find you there? And what did uh, startle you to uh, yeah create or start a podcast? Uh, you can follow the podcast at so4 underscore podcast on Twitter. And then uh, you can follow me at r underscore k-h-a-r-m-a-n. Yeah, uh, so I really started with, um, actually, I saw you guys. Um, I was looking, I don't even know what the heck I was looking up. And I saw that yellow wall pod. So, you know, started listening to you guys. And I'm like, is there a Shalga podcast? And this is probably like spring last year. And um, I looked around and there's a, there's a couple of German speaking uh, podcasts for Shalga, but there are none for English. And I said, I know there's tons of uh, um, Schalke American fans and English-speaking fans, so I think they need a podcast as well. And I'm already, I'm already on a Serie A podcast that I've been doing for a couple of years now. And so since I already had the, uh, I guess, uh, touch of the, t the podcast bug, I said, why not try another one? And um, yeah, created it last summer and uh, 
have taken off with it since. Yeah, we do have a Borussia Dortmund fans from around the world segment where I interview Borussia Dortmund fans, uh, you know, from other nations than Germany. Because I'm yeah. very intrigued how people become Dortmund fans. Um, I'm even more intrigued how do people become Schalke fans in the United States? How does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, surprisingly, there's a big contingent of, of American uh, Schalke fans here in the U.S. There's a, I know there's a really big contingent in St. Louis, and then there's a really big uh, chat group on Facebook uh, with lots of fans. But uh, how did I become a fan? Really, it was um, luck of the draw, really. I uh, I turned on Gold TV, I don't know, it was like 2003 or so, and uh, the game I saw was uh, Schalke against Leverkusen, and Schalke was home, and I just loved the, the way the fans were with the flags and everything. I said, you know what? I haven't. I don't have a team in Germany. I'm a. I'm a support Schalke, uh, and I kind of been with them ever since. And I just grown to love the team uh, since that day. All right. <laughs> Not gonna say cool or anything because, ah, oh, what? Um. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Schalke actually had a really impressive six-game winning streak going, and then they traveled to Hamburg. Pretty confident, I think, that they would make it seven, but it didn't quite work out that well. So, um, hey, Richard, why do you think uh, the winning streak snapped and uh, why did Schalke win so many games in a row in the first place? I think they uh, threw the game just so they could lose before the Dortmund game. No, um, <laughs> Jack Mangan and I, who are who's a co-host on the show with me, we talked about how you know, yes, there is a very good chance that Schalke could go on a seven-game win streak, but we also thought that. This is a perfect opportunity to be complacent and you're playing the worst place team in Bundesliga. You may try to overlook them looking ahead to the Riviera Derby and it's a very good opportunity because obviously Hamburg are, are hungry. They don't want to be relegated. They've been in the league 55 consecutive years. Uh, they want to make it 56. So I, we knew that they, they were going to be hungry. We didn't, we weren't sure how Schalke, if they were going to respond to that or overlook them. Um, and it kind of looked like they did overlook them because Hamburg came out and they, Hamburg didn't look like a last place team, but that has a lot to do with the way Schalke played. I don't know, Lars. Um, Hamburg have been playing quite well actually in the recent games. They actually tried to play football under Christian, I think his name is Tits. Um, do, do you really think that it was just Schalke being really, really bad? Or do you think, uh, Hamburg also just deserved credit for, you know, actually attempting to play football for once? Well, it's hard for me to say as I was working during the game and only caught glimpses of it, but I had seen, uh, the two games under tits before. And I was actually quite impressed with, uh, how he, uh, developed a team he only took over during the season so quickly. They, have completely changed the way they go about their business on the football pitch. Uh, as you said, they try to play football, which is really refreshing from a side in a relegation scrap because usually those are the teams that try to be solid defensively and have that one counter-attack or one uh, set-piece to, to nick a game, whereas Hamburg are fairly aggressive. They really use their goalkeeper well in the build-up situations. They uh, push their fullbacks up high, so... Uh, under Tits, it's a whole completely different ball club, basically. And, and I've already made the, made the point on Twitter that if, uh, he had been the coach from the start of the season, they, there's no way in hell they'd be, you know, 18th as they were before the Schalke game or now 17th and still very much looking down the barrel of the first relegation of that club because quite frankly, they play better football than Dortmund are at the moment, for example, and a lot of other teams, obviously. So, uh, it's still quite a disappointing result for Schalke, obviously coming off that six-game winning streak and just being the 
second place team in the league coming in with a lot of confidence. You still don't expect to lose against Hamburg, even though they have been better in recent weeks. But uh, having watched the other games of Hamburg, I wasn't completely shocked to see uh, Schalke struggle a little bit. Obviously, the result uh, came about by way of an absolute screamer of Aaron Hunt, who probably hasn't who probably hasn't yeah, scored a goal like shot. that in his entire, I don't know, 13 year or so career. So it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't put too much, uh, on that result for Schalke anyway, because Hamburg have been better. And also, uh, uh, derbies are the kind of game where results of previous weeks don't really matter because there's such, such special occurrences that for Schalke, uh, this really shouldn't mean too much. Yeah, that is very true. Um, There was a really long list of players that may have had a suspension going into the Vivio Derby. In the end, uh, it was only Nastasic who got caught and uh, will have to miss. Um, are there any other um, players personnel-wise that uh, are injured or you know have any other reasons to not make the game, Richard, that uh, are really a big concern going into Sunday's game? Or is it still too soon to say? It's still too soon because I mean, uh, Nastasic also picked up an injury in that game and, uh, so he probably would have made it even if he was eligible as far as the yellows. Other than that, really, no, it's more about, uh, are the guys in form, you know, you know, Goretzka, who's, as we all know, is going to Bayern. He hasn't been playing particularly well, especially in the Rukurunda. Um, and, you know, Meyer as well, uh, maybe it's a chance for Bentele to get a, get a start. McKenney's been chomping at the bit. Uh, for Schalke and, and also Ochipka, we haven't seen much of him and it's a question mark whether he's going to be able to start or not. Uh, I don't, I don't believe there was an injury. Tedesco has been sitting guys left and right and it didn't see, you know, as a, as a, as a fan, you're thinking maybe there's an injury that we don't know about, but uh, maybe just Tedesco trying to give guys a rest or, cause he, Harit had a long spell where he sat down, McKenney as well, uh, both Agretzka and Meyer, uh, Ochipka now. And so it's been a, like a rotation with Tedesco. So other than, other than, uh, Nastasic, both as far as the yellows and the injury, I, I don't, I didn't see anything, uh, very big that would keep someone from the game. Yeah. Who do you actually see coming in for Nastasic? Uh, I think it's going to be a back three of, uh, Stambouli on the right, Naldo in the center and Carrer on the left. Do you think that's going to be a problem? Because Tilo Kera had a lot of problems in that, uh, infamous 4-4 draw. At the, uh, in the, in the Hinrunde. And, uh, of course, he also struggled, uh, mightily against, uh, Hamburg's Ito, if I remember correctly. So Ito was fantastic in that game. Uh, you know, all credit to Ham Hamburg. But, uh, yeah, you know, both Kerer and, uh, Stambouli are wild cards. Uh, Stambouli is better offensively, but he's a little bit, uh, a little bit shaky defensively. And then Kerer, he, he can get hot tempered and then do something silly where he gets a yellow or even potential red. Uh, yeah, that's worrisome, but, uh, I, I, I think that, you know, especially for Carrer, he's a young guy. He needs to learn how to, uh, accept the limelight and, 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 and mature from that. Uh, the only way you can do that is by playing the games. Uh, he played in the, obviously in the first Revere Derby and he didn't do so well, but I think he can learn from that. Yeah, he had a, he had a shaky game against, uh, against Ito and Hamburg, but, um, I mean, who else are you going to put back there? There's no one really that Schalke have. I mean, they could put Insua maybe. Uh, but ultimately the, the best three that are, that are available right now are, are those three, uh, Stamboli, Naldo and, and, uh, Tilo Carrer. Yeah. What kind of shape do you expect? Do you actually expect the, uh, preferred back three that, that Sharkers often play? Or do you think Tedesco will pull something entirely 
else out of the bag uh, going, uh, maybe adjusting to Dortmund's tactics, although I think then you actually would go with a back three. There is actually a uh, a little a player that Dorman or Dorman, uh, Tedesco has been working with, and that's McKenney as a center back. So you, it's very possible if he really wants to have McKenney on the pitch and he doesn't find a room for him in the midfield, he could put him in the back three. Uh, I do see it's going to be a back three, uh, and this is going to be probably a three four three formation. I would not be surprised to see De Santo in the false nine. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's crazy to say that because one he's not that good of a player in the season he hasn't been scoring goals at least but he has he has a tremendous work rate which is important because if you if you watch the Hamburg game there was no work rate really from the team uh, that's also what kind of attributed to their loss so I I, I can definitely see a three four three with a, I you know assuming Ochipka is healthy it's probably gonna be Ochipka on the left and Caligiri on the right and they're gonna help drop back kind of like Hoffenheim and and be like the fifth defenders. Uh, when, when Dortmund are attacking, uh, so those wingbacks are very crucial in this, in this game. Uh, obviously how, how big Caligiri was in, in the first game. So, uh, that's exactly kind of what I'm, what I'm seeing gonna be here with, uh, Tedesco with the three men, three center backs in the back and then the two wings being both offensive and defensive. There are a lot of parallels to, uh, you know, the start of the Jurgen Klopp era and Dortmund and, uh, the Tedesco era and so far that, uh, Schalke had so many poor seasons in quotations, mar in quotation marks that they're expecting, you know, the, the entire expectancy around the club certainly has regressed or, you know, just got slimmer, a bit more realistic. So, you know, a couple of bad results now do not create mass hysteria. I would say the club in, in general has, has calmed down. Um, from an outside perspective, the football isn't really, you know, attractive right now, but, um, can you maybe talk us through a little how, um, Tedesco has transformed Schalke into what they are now and, uh, what his strengths are and what his weaknesses are, if he has any? Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously Schalke belongs in, in, in the, in the names with Dortmund and Bayern as far as, the Bundesliga, it'll help the, it'll help the league with, with, with a strong Schalke, I, I believe. Uh, and, it, and it's, it's not to say just because I'm a Schalke bias, it's, it's what I believe is, you know, the top team should be the top team and it helps attract fans. Uh, Schalke have a tremendous following throughout the world. Uh, with that said, the biggest problem the last few seasons really has been the amount of goals they've given up. They had talented teams, they just couldn't stop anybody. Uh, last year with Weinzierl was a, was main point in that. Uh, so when Tedesco came in, his main goal objective was to shore up that defense. Um, at times, he has looked. At the, the team obviously doesn't look very good offensively, and that's because they're probably focusing too much on the defense. Uh, we saw in maybe a ten-minute spurt in a Hamburg game what they're capable of when they do uh, go direct and then they do have the talent to go up forward. Uh, but even though you know maybe they're not as talented as some teams are, but. Uh, what Tedesco has done, he's short, short up that defense and it, it shows with Fireman having five consecutive clean sheets, uh, leads the league in, in, in that, in that guard. Um, but, you know, while they may be strong defensively, it seems like his weakness could be, um, when teams press him, it seems like, especially, uh, in the Rook Runda when they started out weak against, you know, Leipzig and, and, and Bayern, um, when teams press them, they seem to turn the ball over quickly, and they 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 seem to get frustrated with that. Uh, they also, when they when they aren't attacked, they're very slow in tradition transition to the to the defense. We saw that it was a prime example in the Dortmund in the Revere Derby uh, when Dortmund jumped out to the four nothing lead. It was just they kept catching Schalke on the on the counterattack, and Schalke wasn't prepared for it, so they seemed to go all in 
uh, when they're under attack, and then they, they leave themselves wide open in the back. Uh, he's done better since Tedesco and the, and the guys have done uh, much better since then. We're trying to close those gaps, uh, preventing that. But, uh, you know, as, as, as much as they focus on, on the defensive end, it, it, it hurts on their offensive because they're too conservative, really. They just pass the ball around. Um, and they're not, they're not aggressive enough in the attack to, to try to get some possession. Cause really most games, they, they have a, a good, good amount of possession in the game, probably 65% in most games. And how many shots do they have? They really don't have that many shots. The final third is what's killing them. Uh, yeah, it's a combination of, uh, Bergstaller and, and Mbolo and DeSanto not, not doing enough on the offensive end, but it's also, they're too conservative, and that's the main thing. And that's that's a big weakness for Tedesco, in my opinion. Yeah, but uh, I, I presume Schalke do not need that many, you know, attacks going forward if they have this defensive solidity. And I think that's what the entire success this season is really yeah. built on, that you make sure you get a clean sheet. And uh, it gets really, really uncomfortable for any opponent when they are 1-0 down against Schalke. That's uh, very often already, like... The, the final day in the coffee. they don't yeah they don't quit they don't quit and so of course there has been this element of luck which is undeniable uh for Schalke as much as it has for Dortmund been in, in recent months that uh, I would say the one uh, win against Mainz that Schalke had was uh, somewhat fortress uh, the one uh, win against Wolfsburg where Wolfsburg missed a penalty and then scored an own goal you yeah know, there's a little bit of fortune in there as well so um yeah I really do wonder how uh the the fortune will go in the Revere Derby. Um, Lars, um, what kind of game are you expecting? Do you think Dortmund will go up by four goals again? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, uh, anything is possible. Uh, I think the the first derby of the season kind of showed uh, just how special these games are. Dortmund were completely out of form, uh, losing at Bayern. No, at home against Bayern at Stuttgart with a really poor performance. And then, you know, coming out of the gate against Schalke, getting that four goal lead, uh, it kind of shows that in Derby's recent form and maybe even individual talent doesn't matter as much as, uh, you know, mental resiliency and the ability to be on point on that day when there's so much pressure on the teams coming from the stands and just the general, uh, the the general value so many people place in these games so uh what i expect is not great football just because neither schalke nor dortmund uh, are very comfortable in possession these days uh i know that many people think dortmund have now somehow found the 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 magic answer just by beating stuttgart 3-0 but if you watch those 38 minutes as we talked about earlier uh they haven't found any solutions they just happened to score the second goal for the first time on Stöger in uh before basically garbage time so uh, i expect a close game as most of these derbies are and because i think mental resiliency uh, is so important i would expect schalke to be to have the upper hand ultimately because that team to me just seems a little more solid, uh, have a bit more, I don't like to use the word, but character. So ultimately I would say Schalke are probably favorites, not only because they're at home, but also even after losing against Hamburg, uh, they should be more confident uh, going into this game than Dortmund are. Yeah, another big advantage that Schalke really have is just the uh, physical edge over Dortmund and I think in the derby that makes even more of a difference than than usually and um, of course what we mustn't forget is that 
the Tedesco is really good at making halftime adjustments or or even you know, sooner than halftime as we've seen in the Riviera Derby where he uh, uh, realized after 30 minutes that he made a grave mistake because uh, Schalke were expecting Dortmund to play with a back four as they had played with that, I think, pretty much all games beforehand and all of a sudden Peter Bosch came out with a back three and uh, yeah, Dortmund all of a sudden had uh, one player more in their in their back third with Marcel Schmelzer and one uh, midfielder then and one passing outlet and they could move the ball around and all of a sudden they had the spaces they usually do not get. Um, something tells me that uh, there will be no element of surprise this time for Dortmund to uh, grant them the amount of space they need to create as many goals as S4. So um, I would say it's going to be tighter and uh, then at least in, in, in my book Tedesco will have better ideas to make adjustments than uh, in the than than Stöger will. Uh, I don't know about you, Lars, um, but I I certainly would say the tactical edge is also right now with Schalke. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you listen to Tedesco's post-match interview against or after the Hamburg game, he basically said some of the same things or used the same trigger words as Stöger usually does. You know, mentality and he was actually talking about virtues. Yeah. He didn't say basic yeah, virtues, I mean, but virtues. That's kind of the point I was going to make. He he used the same language in some ways, but he used it to still find a tactical explanation for how it didn't work, uh, whereas Stöger stops at those virtues. So uh, if if they are the same, which presumably they're not, but if uh, what shines through in these interviews and and uh, whatever media interactions they have, if they if that's how they communicate with their own teams i would uh, as you do assume that schalke have a fairly large uh, tactical advantage and as you uh, guys talked about earlier uh, tedesco is really good at in-game adjustments i don't really know when dortmund last adjusted something in game uh, you know from a major tactical standpoint so uh, that that the edge in that regard should go to schalke who also uh, from Person, from a personnel standpoint, to me, seem to have the more balanced squad in that regard. I think they can do more with the players they have, even if, uh, if you go, you know, one through, I don't know, 23 or so, you would probably give Dortmund the edge just in terms of individual talent. But I think Schalke's players might be a little more versatile. And as you said, uh, they also have the physical edge. So they, I think Schalke have more ways to win games, uh, than Dortmund, even though, on their best day, both squads, I would probably pick Dortmund just in terms of individual talent. Yeah, um, R Richard, that really sounds like, at least from our perspective, that the uh, Royal Blues will be the uh, favorites on, on Sunday. But um, maybe as a Schalke fan, you have a different point of view there. Or do you also think that uh, Schalke are favorite to win this, not only because they're second, also, but also because they have the better form and whatnot? Um, well, first I want to, you know, touch up on, on Tedesco and Stoger. Uh, I think another advantage for Schalke is that the, the, the team is 100% behind Tedesco. He, he seemed to have, uh, rallied the troops, so, uh, to, so to speak, and they're all with him. And can you say the same thing with Stoger and Dortmund? I'm not so sure. Uh, so that's an advantage for Schalke. Now, how do I see it? Uh, it's a derby. Uh, anything can happen. Form, like you said, goes out the window. Uh, I think it's, you know, as, as good as Schalke have been at times defensively and they've gotten better offensively. Uh, and yeah, T Tedesco has a tactical advantage. I agree with that. 
I think when these when these when these big games happen, especially in the Riviera Derby, you never know what to expect. Um, it's I could easily agree. I agree with you guys. It's going to be tight a tight affair. But I can also see a lot of goals in this one. Uh, I was telling I was telling my co-host Jack that uh, I could easily see a three-two scoreline. Yeah, maybe Shaka has a slight advantage, um, but it's it's going to be close. And yeah, while Shaka do dominate the physical physical presence, you know, bigger bigger bodies. Dortmund are a much faster team, and we saw that in the in the first review derby. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a very very tight affair, and I I I'm, I kind of agree with you. Lars is gonna be sloppy. Uh, these derbies tend to tend to create a lot of mistakes. Guys uh, think too much and they try to be too perfect and make a, uh, uh, unnecessary passes, and that leads to turnovers, and which leads to uh, scoring opportunities. So um, I certainly think it'll be um, a very very sloppy tight affair but i do see goals in this one yeah me definitely too um maybe it's just going to be one goal who knows maybe it's just going to be another shaky win but but something tells me it's not going to be the uh uh you know shaky treatment where they just win one nil and and bring it home some somehow i just don't think that going to work uh, against dortmund to keep them completely out for uh the entire 90 minutes um how actually do you um uh let's say observe christian Pulisic because um you know there are a lot of people in the world that either like ronaldo or messi and uh cannot enjoy the other one because they're a favorite one obviously he is now playing for your big foes but also obviously a big american talent how do you follow him um i love i love the kid he's uh in the u.s they promote him like crazy uh he's i i I don't care he's a Dortmund that he plays for Dortmund Uh, i i love the kid and then um, i'm hoping that he can continue to be a a rising superstar at least for the national team we've had uh close close wonder kids we know everyone knows freddie adu the big hype about him when he was 14 years old and he never panned out to anything yeah we had clint Dempsey, landon donovan but uh pulisic is really you know supposed to be the next even better than all of them uh and so uh, we're looking at it and even shaka fans as um we're looking to see how he progresses yeah you know we don't want him to do well against us uh but we hope he's he continues to rise and get better and better uh whether he stays at dortmund or, or moves on um you know a lot of people were talking about oh he should go to a bigger club i'm like why if he's doing well at dortmund he could become a really great player for dortmund who knows um so i i don't i don't mind that he plays for dortmund and i i just i'm a big fan of him um now besides we have like five americans of our own so it's okay <laughs> yeah yeah you really do have picked up in, in that department that uh, Schalke really have uh, opened the channels across the pond and uh yeah west mckinney i think is the, the prime example but there are more coming through through the Schalke ranks um now briefly looking forward to next season Schalke have been very min- minimalistic um and i would say they have also been quite reliant on uh, the likes of max meyer and uh, leon goretzka um both will most likely not play in royal blue next year and uh, there's most likely also going to be another competition with the champions league um how do you think Schalke are set up for that with, uh, as you already said, Goretzka going to Bayern and uh, Meyer going on a free, maybe possibly somewhere else? Um, you know, they're, they are big, uh, you know, big integral players in, in this side. Do you think Schalke can easily compensate for that? I think the natural progression from Goretzka is going to be Weston McKinney. He can do a lot of the same things that he does. He's very raw. He's not at Goretzka's level, but he can be, uh, you know, compared to when Goretzka was at this age, uh, McKinney's a little bit ahead of him. Uh, so he has the potential to be Goretzka or even better. 
uh, and so we're hoping for that. Uh, he's still obviously very raw, but um, you know, we in the last few weeks you've seen that Bentaleb has come in. He could he could probably fi- fill in that sixth role for Max Meyer. Shaka do need depth uh, in midfield, but I think uh, with those two there, and you need to bring in some other some bodies. But I think Weston McKinney, uh, he's going to be the answer in the midfield. And then the big key for me is I know Goretzka and Meyer are probably gone, but keeping Amin Harit. He's been fantastic for this for Shaka this year. Uh, draws lots of fouls and sets up a lot of our, our set piece goals. So, uh, I think he's the key to keep with them. But, um, between Harit, McKenney, and Bentaleb, uh, they're going to be in, a, they're in a good core spot, but they need more players. They need more depth. Uh, Uth, yeah, Mark Uth is coming in, but they need more attacking presence as well. So, um, the, the base is there, but they need more help for sure. All right. Before we let you go, um, how will you actually follow the derby in the United States? Is there a Schalke fan gathering somewhere or a Bundesliga fan gathering in DC? Uh, no, there's not in DC. There is actually a, a Bayern Munich one, but I'm not going to go to that. <laughs> uh, there's a big Schalke viewing party in St. Louis, which I will not be able to go to. So I'm going to watch it at home on Fox Soccer, on Fox Sports. So. Uh, that's how I'll be watching it, but uh, I usually in the chat groups during the games anyway, and so I get to experience uh, at least from a chat perspective uh, how, how to how to watch games with other other fans. How about you guys? I'm gonna be at this at the game. I presume Lars will uh, watch. From be working home. during and after the game, so yeah. Be working, so yeah. So there's that. Yeah, I guess I guess the Riviera Derby means work for the both of us. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the, to the lentil soup. That's usually very good press catering. It, it's, it beats working, so Stefan, is what I usually say about these things. If, if you can make money writing, talking or whatever about football, that, that's not the roughest of deals. No, it's, it's better than actual work. <laughs> let's put it this way. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. It's, it's prediction time, I presume, Richard. I am going to go with uh, 3-2 Schalke mm-hmm, victory. Mm-hmm. 1-0 Schalke. All right. I already said that this will exactly not happen. So I'm going with a one-all draw. And that would be all from us for uh, the uh, little tidbit with our guest. Um, Richard, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on the Schalke podcast at SO4 underscore podcast. Or you can follow me on Twitter directly at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Wonderful. And we will be back in just a minute. Thanks for joining. All right, that was uh, Richard Kamen from the Schalke Pod. Lars, uh, now let's shift our focus a little bit more on the black and yellow side of things. Um, Andrea Schüller is back in team training, so that means he is going back to the starting lineup, right? Yeah, presumably. I mean, you can hear the excitement <laughs> in my voice. Can't wait for Andrea Schüller to come back in and, and take the spot of, I would presume, uh, Maximilian Philipp, who... Did pretty well against Stuttgart. Wasn't a great performance by him or Pulisic, I would say. Uh, even though the whole of Twitter is trying to tell me otherwise, or did try to tell me otherwise after the game. But you know, this is the the kind of player Peter Stöger obviously likes very much for whatever reasons, because he's not really done well after you know the initial search when uh, Royce came back. Uh, I think Schule doesn't really contribute enough. 
going forward. And as you saw against Bayern, his defensive contributions can be lacking as well. Uh, but you know, it's, it is what it is. Peter Stöger really likes Andre Schöle. So for the final five games of this season, at least Schöle is to be considered a regular starter. So if he's healthy, I would presume he's going to be back in the team. I actually don't think that. I actually think that Maximilian Philipp is uh, going to get the nod. I think he was quite convincing in that game against Stuttgart. So, uh, you know, why change that also? Because I think Philipp's defensive contributions are also a little bit more important than whatever Schuld is doing. Um, so yeah, I'm, I don't, I don't know. We, we already talked about it a little bit, but, um, Lars, how do you think the, uh, the team will deal with that? Um, you know, positive spell in the second half. Do you think they will have any sort of, um, let's call it motion or any, any sort of way to conserve that form where they have that little bit more confidence? Because we sort of saw how much football can be a, a mental game. Um, do, do you think that they can reinstill that good face against Stuttgart they had against Schalke? Or do you rather think, uh, it's, it's going be, to be an entirely different game and see the, quote-unquote chocolate side of Dortmund I think on an individual level that might work for someone like Mahmoud Dahoud who seems really dependent on confidence in his game uh, you saw that once he had that one pretty good performance uh, he followed it up with another and another so uh, I thought he was the best player on the pitch against Stuttgart so uh, he might be able to conserve that Nuri Shahin did pretty well he might be able to uh, you know bring that over another week but As a group, I think that's tough to do, especially uh, as we talked about with Richard uh, in a game of uh, special magnitude, which usually you can or, or where you can usually throw recent form and, and whatever out of the window with the first whistle. It's it's a very specific 90 minutes, so I don't really see uh, that having too much of a of a role and. and The, the thing is also, as we talked about earlier, uh, we might be focusing a lot on the positives, but they were god awful for 38 minutes. So, uh, I think this game will probably give Schalke some hope if they really need it, uh, more so maybe even than the 40 odd good minutes against Stuttgart will do for Dortmund just because they, uh, those were the first or it was the the first really really good spell of football they had in like weeks or months maybe so i don't know how much they they can take from that yeah i i certainly presume that Schalke will sort of snuff dortmund out tactically and really uh man mark them and and stifle their midfield and then uh, dortmund will have a lot of long balls but can't win them because of a naldo and b uh, other players that are taller than dortmund so um I, I really think it's going to be scrappy and if, if Dortmund want to come away with a win, I, I think they really will need yet another spark like Pulisic goal against Schutka, just something out of the blue. <laughs> um, which is funny because it's against Schalke. So, um, I, I just, I'm still not overly confident, although it was really nice to see for once what this team is capable of. Um, I asked Peter Stöger at the uh, recent press conference whether he prefers to stick with one defensive midfielder pairing or rather make switches as soon as, uh, you know, someone makes an error and 
gives a chance to the next guy. You know, he was a bit more on offense in his response, but I, I guess as any coach, he prefers to have a, a pairing that it's, uh, yeah, has, has uh, some routine and whatnot. Um, now Shine and Dahoud, at least against Stuttgart, did fairly well. Um, we know that Nuri Shine, eh, you know, he has a lot of issues, especially physically. Um, but it's not like Gonzalo Castro or Julian Weigel are mo the best athletes in the world. So if you were Stöger Lars, would you stick with a Dahoud Shine partnership or would you throw in Weigel or Castro or anyone else? Well, if I were Sugar, Weigel had, would have played all the games and be back in a somewhat comfortable uh, situation. So, uh, regardless of that, uh, I think you have to strike the iron while it is mildly warm or lukewarm or whatever. So, uh, Shaheen did pretty well. He should get another start just because the others have been fairly awful. I think we've talked at length about uh, Weigel's shortcomings this season. And it's not going to change in these last few weeks. Uh, this this campaign is uh, a lost one for him. Will cost him uh, the, the World Cup squad presumably. Uh, and Castro is just not a defensive midfielder anyway. I don't, I don't really see how or, or understand how he became a part of that discussion. Uh, it was always Weigel or Shahin, and, and then somehow Stöger thought it would, would be a good idea to play a half decent number eight as a defensive midfielder. And, you know, the 30 minutes he, or roughly 30 minutes he got against Bayern showed pretty much why that wasn't a great idea. So, uh, Castro doesn't factor into the discussion. In my opinion, it should be about Weigel and Shahin, and since Shahin has the one better recent performance, uh, which still wasn't great, but, you know, better than what Weigel has shown, uh, for the last three or four months. Uh, you know, he should probably stay in the team, but regardless of whom Stöger selects at the base of midfield, they're going to be at a disadvantage against, uh, the physicality of someone like Di Santo or Embolo drop, or dropping <laughs> back the quickness of Harid and the dynamism of Goretzka. So, Uh, it's a mismatch in some ways for Dortmund, regardless of personal selection. Yeah, I'm really intrigued to, to see whether Mario Götze will get a start. Um, he certainly has fallen a bit off the table, and in in recent weeks, um, you know, there was this uh, weird game away to Salzburg where it was a complete non-performance, and he was criticized. And uh, yeah, he was sitting on the bench for 90 minutes against Stuttgart. And if I remember correctly, Mario Götze was uh, the outstanding performer in that 2-1 loss away to Stuttgart in uh, earlier this season where he was one of the few guys that could really give this team structure um do you think that um Götze actually has a place in in Stuttgart's system because I I just don't see him as a number 10 to be honest I would rather play him at the number eight position but that position doesn't really exist anymore in the Stuttgart set up as it did under Bosch so do you think that uh Götze will play Big, a big role in the derby or in any other game for that matter in the rest of the season? No, I think you're probably right. The Götze did have some pretty good performances on the Stöger, but those, uh, for example, his uh, cameo off the bench against Hamburg, that, that was a, a real throwback to, you know, the Götze of four or five years ago when he was basically a counter-attacking striker or secondary striker uh, off the bench. I think his strengths... Uh, as uh, I think Constantine always says, he's a problem solver in attack. 
uh, I think that that kind of puts it well. Uh, those come to fruition best when he has a bit of a bit more space in front of him. So the 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 number eight in Bosch's four three three really worked well for him. I think uh, it's no coincidence that we I think unanimously called Götze the best player of Dortmund in the Hinrunde. Uh, obviously that was kind of low-hanging fruit for a lot of those games because Dortmund were truly awful, but Götze wasn't. He was really good in the, in the first half of the season, and I don't like how the, the public discussion now is about him having a bad year when, quite frankly, he's having a bad few weeks uh, because of, I think, scheme fit mostly and, and maybe some uh, individually bad bad form. But, you know, if we take the entire season into account, he's still done pretty well for himself uh, in comparison to some of these other guys, especially, uh, you know, Weigel and Schein, for example, at the base of midfield. So I think uh, as we maybe look a little forward, one of the things uh, Dortmund should be looking for uh, while they are searching for, uh, I hope at least, <laughs> a new head coach is to find someone who can make use of Götze's considerable uh, considerable talents uh, just because uh, when you use him right, this is uh, still a, a player of uh, very high quality and someone that on his in, in his best form is someone who shouldn't be available to Dortmund or a club of Dortmund size because if, if a guy of Götze's talent uh, is used correctly and has has really good form. He's probably good enough to play for any club in the world, and I strongly believe that. So, uh, even though I don't see him having a huge role in these last few weeks under Stöger, Dortmund should uh, really stick with him and and try to build around him as uh, along uh, with you know Royce and and some of these other guys. Yeah, I uh, will actually reiterate the point because. Um Mario Götze, he has already been burned, and uh, so has Kagawa and, and Royce. And I would actually make the point that those three players that I just named are all players that can be world class or at least on the verge to it, uh, or international class, certainly better than most players. They are all already pretty experienced for you know their age. I mean, Marco Royce is already a little bit older, and uh, Kagawa is also not the youngest anymore, but Götz is only 25. And if you get the best out of them, the chances of them turning around and leaving the next year is uh, not the highest, so that means you actually have the chance to build a team around them for maybe two or three seasons if you can actually pull it off. So um, if if you do that, uh, you, you have certainly three players that are tactically and technically very gifted uh maybe not so much for Royce who's maybe not the greatest tactician but he has a lot of other traits um but in a, in a uh, sense of of Götze and Kagawa I'm always praising not only their contributions on the ball but also off the ball Kagawa to me is one of the best counter presses in the Bundesliga and you will always want to have that so um you know is if if Dortmund at some point opt to play football again um you know they will be in demand and I just said i really do hope that it's with the three players i just mentioned uh shinji kagawa obviously uh not going to play a part in the derby but uh he has been in individual training again so maybe we will see him before the season ends uh, have never any guarantees with 
Borussia Dortmund and their medical predictions. So um, yeah, there's that. Um, and yeah, we mustn't forget Kagawa, obviously one of the uh, best players under Stuga until his injury. So, you know, it's a hurtful, hurtful loss. Um, anyway, Lars, what sort of derby game do you think will uh, be on display by Dortmund? Because we have seen them very flat and very uninspired from a standpoint of, let's call them virtues, as it has been the case in Munich or away to Salzburg. I usually don't like to talk about that sort of thing, but uh, I think with this team you sort of have to, that sometimes just the spirit is lacking. Do you think... That something like that can actually even happen in a derby. Yeah, I mean the the closest thing Dortmund have to a derby outside of the Schalke game is probably uh, the the Bayern games. Even though the disparity in, in talent is much greater there, to their disadvantage, obviously. Um, from you know the 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 special value of that game in the public eye, I think it's it's relatively close to a derby, especially if you're not one of the the truly local fans uh i think many people care at least as much about the bayern games uh, as they do about the schalke games even though uh the the hardcore local fan base will chastise you for saying that um so going by that i wouldn't be shocked if dortmund were flat again uh overwhelmed by the occasion i talked about mental resiliency uh, earlier i think uh, schalke have more of that and, and shown more of that uh, even despite losing at hamburg which can happen as we talked about earlier they the hamburg have uh, improved greatly uh what dortmund have shown in recent weeks doesn't instill too much confidence in me that somehow they can you know beat the more aggressive, more ready to fight for a scrappy win kind of team in this derby against Schalke. So when, when you add that to some of the issues footballing wise that are still very much plaguing this team, even though they had 40 odd good minutes against Stuttgart, uh, that, you know, in my opinion, doesn't bode well for a derby, uh, especially with Schalke being the kind of team that is perfectly fine with the game being completely dull and, and you know, a, a, a dogfight that ends with a set-piece goal for the home side or something like that. So uh, it's going to be must-see TV just because it's Dortmund Schalke uh, and, and one of the, the biggest fixtures in, in European football. But, you know, from the actual goings on, on the pitch... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a really scrappy, sloppy, low-scoring uh, game with a bad end for Dortmund. Yeah, I I, I don't know. But uh, for, for the sake of being positive, Lars, uh, the outlook, if Dortmund managed to win the Revier Derby, they will obviously be ahead of Schalke again. And I think they will be very happy with the fact that it's, you know, in the eyes of Many people will be a very poor season for Dortmund and very good season for Schalke, yet Dortmund then would be above Schalke again. Um, I guess I just jinxed that, but nevertheless, um, do you think when with a three-pointer away to Gelsenkirchen, the uh, Champions League qualification is more or less wrapped up, or do you think that even if they manage to, to beat the Royal Blues, it's you know not a certainty at all? Yeah, I think if you look at the at the table, which I'm not entirely aware of, uh, in terms of Dortmund's points advantage to the likes of, you know, Frankfurt, uh, Leipzig and even Hoffenheim. Uh, 
I think three points would go a long way, but obviously not decide anything. And, and Dortmund really have quite the rest of the season scheduled uh, for them. They still face, uh, after this game, Leverkusen, uh, a direct opponent, Bremen, who have improved greatly over the last few weeks, uh, even though they just lost to Hannover. Uh, they still have Mainz, who are in a relegation battle, will need every point, and then uh, Hoffenheim away on the final match day. That's uh, never an easy fixture. It might be a win-and-in situation for Hoffenheim, so uh, there's no game where you can look at and, and go, well, that's an easy three points for Dortmund. Even the Mainz game where you might go that, uh, into with with that mindset, it's probably not going to be a walk in the park. So uh, three points at Schalke would go a long way, uh, but, you know, not decide anything. And uh, my fifth place prediction from before the season did look uh, better before this match, I, uh, I will admit, but you know, I, I still wouldn't be shocked if Dortmund missed out on Champions League football just because the uh, entire structure of this team seems very fragile. So, uh, you know, if if after the, the upswing of the Stuttgart game, they, they come crashing down hard against Schalke, I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, spiral uh, uh, be caught in a negative spiral and then also lose against Leverkusen, for example. So it's it's uh, very uh, touch and go, I think, with the Champions League. Yeah, Dortmund obviously five points ahead um, of uh, fifth place, Frankfurt and, and Leipzig now. But, uh, you know, five points uh, are very easily wasted within two match days. Um, positive, I think, is that uh, Leverkusen and Frankfurt play next week if i'm not mistaken so they may uh take points of each other as well and uh, as for dortmund not beating leverkusen or losing to leverkusen that's very likely if you know how quick and uh, aggressive and and well leverkusen can play on the other hand leverkusen now played against leipzig which they won in spectacular fashion for the one then uh yeah as i said they play against Frankfurt and then uh, have Bayern Munich in the cup before they play against Dortmund on Saturday. So uh, they may be a little bit fatigued going into that game against Dortmund. But, um, you know, uh, I guess that's something to talk about next week. Um, Lars, we already did predictions, so we can knock it on the head right here and right now. Thanks again for joining me. Um, it was a pleasure as always. Where can people find your work on the internet? Uh, if they speak German or have a nice translator app, uh, they can find my work on fußball.news uh, or just, you know, follow me on Twitter or do as Rafael Guerrero and block me without reason on Twitter at Lars Polman. Oh, you're also in a club of being... Yeah, but you have a reason because you you absolutely slag him off every week. And I'm sure, as all Dortmund pros, Rafael Guerrero is one of the most ardent listeners of this show. So you have a reason I don't. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Yeah, maybe maybe you, you're just too close to me. That's maybe why. Mitgehang, mitgefangen. That's what we say in German. So um, there, there, there we go. Um, You can find me, obviously, on... Twitter as well. If you want to block me like Rafael Guerrero, you can find me at Stefan Botsko. You can find my written stuff ESPNFC, where I will of course cover the Revier Derby uh, firsthand. <laughs> and um, yes, if you want to get in touch with the all of us, please uh, go on yellowwallpod.com where you can find all ways to subscribe to the show, which is Stitcher, SoundCloud, 
and what else? I guess iTunes. Yes. Please leave a rating also. And uh, once again, I would like to plug our latest Borussia Dortmund fans from around the world segment with the uh, four friends from Milwaukee. Definitely a fun one to listen to, or at least I can say I had a lot of fun recording it. So um, please check that one out. And uh, yeah, that should be all for this week. We will be back after the Revier Derby win. Goodbye until next week. Thank you for listening. <laughs>